to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We are in the midst of a a study on the church. What does God say about the church? Why did he design the church? What do we learn from the word of God about the church? And in Acts chapter 2, last week we looked at, began looking at this passage. Beginning, I'll just read it again, verse 41 down through verse 47. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and in breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, We do thank you for your abundant goodness that you pour out upon us, the privilege to have the written word, the privilege to have your spirit dwelling within us as believers to guide us into truth, the privilege to have fellowship with you, access to you. Lord, I pray today that that Truly, we would come to see you in your greatness, come to see your design, and come to submit to your design. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Imagine with me of having a friend that you just really, really, really feel at home with. That you can just literally just bear your heart to, that you can be totally honest, totally transparent, and of course that means you're vulnerable, but in the presence of this friend, you're willing to to be that. And you are willing to be that because you have the confidence of knowing that they still love you and care for you. Imagine this friend who has seen you at your very worst and has still remained loyal and committed to you. A friend that has heavily invested into your life in crisis times has stepped in and paid debts He's gone with you, he or she gone with you through the depths of at times, maybe even bearing your shame. A friend that truly delights in you. Even almost to the point point of embarrassment on your behalf because you feel so unworthy of their delight and you think, wait a minute, 
you're making it better than it is. You shouldn't be delighting in me that much. And, and yet they do. They delight in you and they're willing to mentor. They're willing to assist and instruct. They want to see you established. They're willing to do the hard things of correcting. They seek to empower us and encourage us. You might say, Pastor, you said imagine a friend like that, and that's truly what I have to do. Because truly to have a friend like that is priceless. And the reality is that most of us in this world don't have all of that wrapped into one package. But I think that is the heart and soul of what is mentioned here in the early church. Last week we looked at they continued steadfastly, verse 42, in the apostles' doctrine. We looked at the importance of doctrine, the teaching of the Word of God, what we believe is very important. And we looked at the aspect of fellowship what it entails and, and the commitment to love one another, very similar to, to what we've kind of imagined as a friend. And we will be looking at a future date in, in the relation to the breaking of bread and the ordinances. But today we want to look at this aspect and in prayers. I find it fascinating that God... To identify the early church says doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. Those were the four hallmarks, if you please, four identifying marks of the early church. The early church was known for its praying. We read in in Acts chapter 1, And verse 14, that they continued in one accord and in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. We read in Acts chapter 1 and verse 24 that that they continued in prayer. They prayed and, and sought God's mind about the direction of the church. We read that through prayer... um. They had people delivered from prison. Through prayer, they separated the first missionaries to go out, that they gave themselves to fasting and prayer. The early church was known as a praying church. Jesus, remember, he came into the temple and he he tipped over the money changers' table. It wasn't he was so upset about the money changers themselves. He said, my house is to be called the house of prayer. That's how he identified. He wanted it to be identified as that. Think about it. In your life experiences, how many churches do you know of 
that you would identify them or the church would be known for its prayer. That that is the, that church is a praying church. Think about it. You can, you can pretty well mark it down. Um, pretty good size at a meeting where food is involved. Pretty good size at a, movie or a play or anything, you can pretty well count on it. You can fit most prayer meetings in a pretty small size room. I don't know if you know of any church that you would identify it as that church prays. Our church isn't a praying church. I mean, let's be real with each other. We're not, but that's the early church. And we could stand here today and guilt us into you ought to be praying. But I want us to go back and understand that prayer is much more than what we often think of it as. Prayer is fellowship with God. The purpose of the house of God in Jesus' day was with fellowship with God. Throughout history, it had always been a place where people met with God. We, as human beings, were made to fellowship with God. That's what separates us from the animals. We, as human beings, were made to fellowship with God. But sin broke that fellowship. And the Bible is the account of God's love manifested to restore that fellowship and to teach us how to maintain that fellowship. The life of Christ, the gospel, is all about restoring us to fellowship with Him. The instructions for living a holy life is all about maintaining a fellowship with God. The provisions of forgiveness through confession of sin is all about fellowship with God. Revelation 3, he stands at the door and knocks and he desires to come in and have fellowship with us. God delights in fellowship with us. Proverbs 15 says, the prayer of the upright is his delight. And prayer is really the highest form of fellowship. It's entering into his presence. That's why the psalmist said, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. It's about a friendship with God. It's about coming into His presence, knowing that 
He's seen us at our worst, and he has still remained committed and loyal to us. Why wouldn't we want to go to that friend? It's understanding that it's about fellowship with God. Prayer makes a difference in our life. Or fellowship with God makes a difference in our life. Just quickly to mention some things here. Praying people or people that fellowship with God have a keener sense of priority. Why? You spend time with God and God teaches us this is a priority and you're placing too much value on this. That isn't really a priority. When you fellowship with God, you become more aware of God's presence and how He is at work in your life. When you're in fellowship with God, you become more sensitive to the needs of the people around you. Praying people, people that fellowship with God, have more character. You say, I don't know about that. You line up a hundred people that never pray and then line up a hundred people that fellowship with God in genuine prayer and you tell me which people you'd want to be with and work with and have as neighbors and so on. But the reality is we struggle with prayer because we don't realize that it's fellowship with God and we don't realize what a friend he is to us. Everything we mentioned and so much more of imagining a friend with whom you can bear your heart to, with whom you can be transparent and vulnerable, and still have the confidence that they love you and care for you, that's only found in Jesus Christ. Imagine a friend who has heavily invested in your life, paying your debts, identifying with your shame, taking the blame and punishment for you, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. And he did that to restore us to fellowship. That's how much he loves us. That he truly delights in you. That he he longs for you to come to him. He delights in you and loves you and and. To the point that, as we said earlier, it's almost an embarrassment. I don't see anything delightable in me. But God delights in us and desires us. To the point that he's willing to mentor and assist and empower and instruct and correct and encourage, and we could go on and on and on and on. So, 
Here, if you imagine, here is this friend that as a believer, having called upon Jesus Christ to forgive my sins, I have direct access to this friend that I can be transparent and open and vulnerable and and I know he's invested in me and there is no one on the face of the earth, no one ever cared for me or you like he did. That even at times when when my heart is breaking or or I'm in the place where I am confused and bewildered and I don't even know how to ask for help. He already knows, and the Spirit is interceding on our behalf, and He already knows when we've experienced rejection, He's experienced it far beyond, and He's a friend that says, I know what you feel. You know, we say that to others. And we maybe have gone through a very similar experience, but we still don't really know what they feel. But this friend exactly knows what we feel. He knows every detail about us. And he says, come unto me, all you that labor. So we stop and we think, why wouldn't a gathering of Christians be known as fellowshipping with God in prayer? Why wouldn't we? That's our best friend. We have a longing in our heart. And I'm certain, as, as I said, imagine a friend. I'm certain there were hearts here today that said, man, I wish I had that. You have that in Jesus Christ. And yet, and yet, I've often said I benefit more from the song service because the songs, when they reflect to something I know I'm going to preach, I've already been thinking on that and dwelling on it. So I want to give you an opportunity now to benefit from the song service. I want you to take, or it might be on the overhead, and I want us to sing 161. What a friend we have in Jesus. And I want you to think about it. And I want you to think, this is the friend Jesus on the throne. This is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. This is, this is one that desires you. And you might be saying, you don't know how I've been lately. God does, and he still desires you. He still desires me. You don't know. I don't have anything to offer him. And God says, that's not the point. The point is, I sent my son to restore you to fellowship And prayer is the ultimate fellowship. I want you to think of this as Jason comes and leads us in this song.
sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we with God. You know, it's easy for us to say, oh, 161, what a friend we have in Jesus. That's an old time song. Listen, there is no friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. So what, what keeps us? What keeps us from going to him? I just want to list four simple reasons why we don't pray. Because, you know, it ought to be our goal that we would be known as a praying church. Those were the four things of the early church. Why don't we pray? Number one, we don't know God. And this could be in two aspects. Number one, we have not trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sin. We have not come to be adopted into his family. We haven't come to realize that Christ alone forgives my sins and gives me everlasting life. But just because you've received the gift of everlasting life doesn't mean that you know God. We may be adopted into his family, but you don't know the Father. Do you know how much he loves you? Do you know how much he's longing for you? Do you know what a friend he is? Do you know what he's capable of? Do you know his heart for you? 
Think of it. Think of it. As God watches us go through life without coming to our best friend and getting direction. Without coming just to to Him, to fellowship with Him. Who else would you want to be around? No one else in the world is for you like Jesus Christ is. We don't know Him. We, we think He's someone you have to pry things out of. We think He's someone that's walking around like whack-a-mole, whack-a-sinner. That's our God. Whack! Oh, yeah, I got Him a good one, you know. This guy hasn't stuck his head up lately. I bet it... Whoa! That, that isn't God. We... We think Christianity is is living by these set of rules. And we have no relationship. We don't know God. He longs. And He walks with me. And He talks with me. And He tells me I am His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there. None other has ever known. There is no comparison to the joy with that friend. None whatsoever. And if you're looking for your permanent joy in a marriage or in a family or in a career or in success or in whatever else, it ultimately will fail you. True joy is in His presence. And we don't know. If we knew God, you couldn't pry us away from His presence. If, if we really knew the heart of God, we'd, we'd be walking with Him and talking with Him. We don't pray because we don't know God. We don't pray, secondly, because we think we can handle it. We don't say that. We know the right things to say. Oh, man, I need God. But we take off and we go through life until we get in deep trouble, and then we'll really cry out to God. Then we'll come to His presence. We don't pray because we're guilty. So if you said to someone today, hey, I'm going to stop by your house this afternoon Probably be between 3 and 4 o'clock. I'm going to stop by your place. Today, you don't do it. Tomorrow morning, you stop in at Casey's and you see their car is already there. You're going to get a raspberry flip. Amen. Raspberry flips are pretty good. And you see their car and you think, "Eh, I think I'll go to the Casey's down on court instead of the one here on 7th Street. Why? Because you, you told them you would meet them today between 3 and 4, and you're guilty about it. You just blew them off, forgot about it, whatever. That's a simple illustration. We've come to points in our life, God, I love you, 
and, and, and I'm going to seek you. And then we don't. And it's like a, like a self-inflicting wound. We keep avoiding him. If you knew his heart. I mean, even, even we as corrupt parents are longing and forgiving to our own children. How much more is our Heavenly Father? He doesn't say, where you been? Good night. Can't count on you for anything. No. He, he says, man, I'm glad to see you back. Man, let's pick it up and go on. Hey, this is great. I, I love you. But do you understand we don't pray because it's war? The last thing Satan wants is to you to really get at home in the presence of God. Because when you get tied up with fellowship with God, he's whipped. And it is spiritual warfare. The two main things that Satan will knock out of your life is Bible reading and prayer. He doesn't care what else you do. If you don't personally read the Bible and if you don't pray, if you don't have a heart for that, Satan's already got you. And, and many well-meaning, I am going to come to the presence of God. Why is it? How many of you, when you prayed, you've had weird thoughts come to your mind? How many? Raise your hand. How many of you, when you've prayed, you've fallen asleep? I got both hands up there, all right? How many of you, when you've prayed, it's, it's like, where in the world did this thought come? It's spiritual warfare. Satan doesn't want you in fellowship with God. That's what you were created for. And it, it's a war that, that is going on. The spiritual warfare. And in Ephesians 6, after he gives us all the armor, he says, And above all, praying always in all things. Do you understand? Satan is trying to keep us from fellowship with God. I just quickly want to go over just some practical little things that can help take us to the presence of God and enjoy His presence. Have prayer targets. When you're tempted, whatever your temptation, we all have many temptations, when you're tempted, have prayer targets. Pray for someone unsaved, someone out of fellowship with God, and pray for a servant of the Lord. Pray for me, okay? I need all the prayer I can get. So it's a simple, basic thing. If Satan comes, hits you there, he's tempting you there, counterpunch with three. You want to trade one for three? He's tempting us. Let that be a springboard. I'm going to pray for this person that is unsaved. I'm going to pray for this person out of fellowship with God. And I'm going to pray for Pastor St. Lawrence. See that? How many of you get tempted often in the week? How many of you are dead? All our hands. All 
If you're not tempted, that means Satan's got you right where he doesn't even need to bother you. But when you're tempted, rather, see, we say, oh, let's say we're tempted with bitterness towards some person. Oh, I shouldn't be thinking that way. Shouldn't be thinking that way. In saying that, you're thinking that way. It's, I'm tempted to be bitter, but no, I'm going to pray for this person that's not saved, this person out of fellowship with God, and I'm going to pray for pastor. Simple way to help get us. We shouldn't need all this help, but we do because we're flesh and blood. They talk about prayer walking. This is southern Iowa. We don't prayer walk. We prayer drive. Amen? If we only prayed when we walk, we wouldn't get much praying done. But how many of you, how many of you drove over three miles to get to church here today? Okay, what if while you were driving, you, as you drove past this neighbor's house, you said, God, I pray you'd bless them. I pray you help them to know you. And then as you pass this neighbor's house, God, they're a believer. I pray you'd help their life to, to blossom and grow for you. Can you imagine what our lives would be like if we just started prayer driving? Don't close your eyes when you pray, okay? You don't need to close your eyes. We say, I don't have time to pray. Take all the time you're in your vehicle. You can pray. God, it's such a joy to have you traveling with me. Prayer driving. Revival prayer times. Set times. You say, that sounds awful legalistic. Set times to pray. Go talk to Daniel about that, okay? When you get done with him, then come talk to me about it. Daniel, three times a day, set times that he prayed. Bob Vander Plaats has started a thing that Second um, Chronicles seven fourteen that he says set your clock for seven fourteen in the morning and seven fourteen in the evening where you just pray for revival. We need reminders, don't we, to pray. When's the last time you really prayed for a, a mighty outpouring of God's Spirit? We say we need an a, A great awakening in our land. Do we pray for it? Neighborhood intercession. Do you pray for your neighbors? Do you pray for them? That God's Spirit would work in their life and that you could be a light and a testimony that that they would know the joy of the Lord. You're put in that neighborhood for a reason. Do you pray... This fifth one, news praying. How many of you heard that um, Oklahoma State had homecoming and at their parade, some lady drove a car into the crowd and killed four people? How many of you heard that? Okay. How many of us prayed for them? You don't need to raise your hand. We all hear news, but do we ever pray for those people? See what I'm saying? 
I'm going to come to the pre- God. You really, you know, you are the all-knowing God. You know those. There's four people that died at Oklahoma State yesterday. I don't know if they are believers or unbelievers, but God, they need your comfort. I don't know anything about it, but I'm just. Li- you know what? You're in the presence of God right then. You're you're talking to your best friend. Government prayer. Do you, do you pray for those that rule over us? If Christians prayed as much as they complained, we'd probably have revival. When's the last time you specifically prayed for our government leaders? That, that means pray for President Obama. Pray for the federal legislatures. Pray for Governor Branstead and our state legislators. Pray for the law enforcement in our area. Pray for the school superintendents, the authorities that are in our area. Pray for our city government. Pray, pray, pray. So you pick up the newspaper. Good night. Look what they did. I can't believe they did. Ah, shut up. I think that's what... That's what God would like to gripe, gripe, gripe. I know, I'm speaking to myself. That's why I can talk to myself like that. Ah, shut up, you know. Fasting and prayer. When's the last time you set aside time that I'm going to put away any other appetites of mine and I just am doing this just so I can focus on you, God? It's not, it's not to twist the arm of God. Look at God, I fasted and prayed, so you ought to do this. No, it's all about fellowship with God. God, I'm, I'm not even going to think about these other things. I just want this time for you. We talk about our American heritage. Our American heritage was because, I'm going to say, because we had, we had presidents that called for national prayer days of fasting and prayer and people did it we get christians calling for national day of prayer and fasting and we don't do it the problem is not with president obama the problem is with us government prayer fasting and prayer prayer evangelism who are you praying that they would come to know Christ as Savior? Are you praying for God to use your life in anyone's life or to use other people to help bring this person to Christ? Family prayer times, gathering the family to pray. Group prayer, Friday night. Men, Friday night we have at 9 p.m. Oh, my, Friday night, 9 p.m. That is a bad time. Well, when the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket, it doesn't matter what time it is. It doesn't matter. And we're not going to be known as a church of prayer. And and I don't care that we're known in the public as a church of prayer. I care that we're known to God as there's people that pray. It's not going to be it's not going to come about by putting it on a letterhead. It's not going to come about by making some new pens that say we're a church that prays. 
It's not going to come about by having programs of prayer. It comes about when we as people pray individually. Then when you get all these people that pray individually together, whoa, then you got something happening. But no one can make you come to your best friend. And we are weak, I am weak, and I need all the help I can get. Because my heart is prone to go against my best friend. He's invested all of this. I'll tell you what, when we learn to live in his presence, it is well with our soul. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 478. It won't be well with our soul unless we come to know this great, great friend that we have. We're going to close our service today by singing this. And I think many times we think, yep, I've received Christ as my Savior. It is well with my soul. It is only well with our soul. When we learn that in his presence is fullness of joy, at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You think of this as we sing the first, third, and fourth verses.